This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ferminger, and today I am truly honored, honored, and I'm not always honored, Terrell. And I'm truly honored to welcome you, Terrell Rothery, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Yes, woo! Thanks for asking me. <laughs> no, no, I, now I'm going to say my thesis statement. Okay. Okay. So for some of you listeners, that welcome statement will be followed by a finally, you have been asking for this interview for a very long time, with good reason. Terrell is an actress who brings nuance and humanity to every role she takes on, whether she's the kind and capable military doctor or a sexy actress in a Northern California town who has her eyes set on Mayor Hope's man. Terrell's lengthy filmography includes memorable roles on dramas like Virgin River, Chesapeake Shores and The Good Doctor, Christmas movies and rom-coms and cartoons and superhero shows and science fiction and fantasy shows like Travelers and The Haunting of Bly Manor, and of course, Stargate SG-1. Terrell played fan favorite Dr. Janet Fraser, and many fans are still very unhappy with the way that Janet died in the beautiful but devastating two-parter Heroes. Sam Carter said the following in Janet's memory. Janet Fraser was an extraordinary person. She was kind and funny and talented. Above all, she was courageous. And I gotta tell ya, I've heard the same thing about Terrell from people like Amanda Tapping and Linda Boyd. So today, we're going to get to know the woman behind the memorable roles. I want to talk about COVID-19 coping strategies, about Muriel and Janet, about what's important to her and her work, and how that's changed since the earliest days of her career. Terrell Rothery, hi. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. So I give... Uh, my guests the opportunity to rebut the thesis statement. So was there anything there that you want to you wanna rebut or debate? Why would I <laughs> rebut that? That was lovely. Are you kidding me? I love okay. it. And uh, yeah, what, what a nice things for you to say. And it's, it's funny as we sit here, you know, those of us that you, you talk to and question and interview and and when we hear our body of work, we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it was nice. And I, uh, I have nothing to rebut, baby. <laughs> Yet. Let's see yeah. where we go with this interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Serious question, though. I've been starting all of my interviews during the pandemic asking from my heart a question that used to be really a rhetorical device. 
but now is, I mean, it's a big one. Daryl, how are you doing? It's, um, you know, I would say I'm doing about as well as the rest of us, really. I mean, it's, um, it's crazy. It's a crazy time. And I think if it was just me, it would be a, a better way. I, I would handle it differently, but I have a 12 year old daughter and it's hard, you know? So yeah. she wanted to know why she couldn't go back to school. Cause I wouldn't put her back in at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I said, well, we're not doing that right now. Cause we don't know what's happening. And why can't I see my friends from here? And well, because this is not the bubble. And, and so that, that part has been hard. Fortunately, we live in Vancouver and I just pray to God it continues to be the way it is uh, here in BC that we do have our kids in school mm-hmm. and she's grateful. She, I put her back in the gradual return. So she went back full time November. Okay. Um, and her best friend in the whole world and her mom and I are very close as well, live right next door. So we sort of quarantined when everything shut down, we were quarantined together. Uh, so she has had that one friend and uh, my daughter is an avid skater she's an amazing little skater and she loves hockey almost as much as she loves the hockey players i might add yeah queen hughes vancouver canucks is the big one just saying don't tell her i told you that um yeah so she's uh, they're back playing they're back on the ice and everybody's you know adhering to a very strict and rightfully so covid um protocol on uh, on the uh, ice So uh, they are not playing games, which she misses, but they are doing drills up the storm. And at least they have that opportunity where a lot of other sports are not able to to go back. So yeah, grateful for that. And um, yeah, plugging along and it keeps changing daily as we all know. And, you know, just doing my part to, to be smart and to be safe. And yeah, it takes a toll though, right? Like I, like, you know, trying to, uh, explain the pandemic to my 10 year old to, um, you know, have her accept it and also just like go along with, you know, like, nope, you can't go to karate right now. Nope. You, there's no more band anymore. Nope. You know, like that's, that's hard. And I, I sometimes feel like, am I asking too much to, you know, to expect her to be, to just accept it? you know, and for it to be normal. And then also for, for us as, as parents and as grownups, you know, to, for us to accept this as normal. Like, I think we just need to give our kids permission and also ourselves permission to be like, this is fucked up. And yes, you can swear on my podcast. Um, (laughs) Because it is, because it's a, it's a major world crisis that we're all living through, you know, like, like how we're, and I'm sure you have a lot of friends south of the border. I have a lot of friends and, um, you know, that's, it's, there's some really scary things going on, you know, friends telling me that in LA, you know, person dies every 10 minutes from it. So it's, um, it's like you say, pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So what have been some of your, your coping strategies for this time? Like, were you one of the people, did you bake a lot of sourdough bread in the first month? I didn't have to because I was so busy watching everybody else do it. I kind of got full or kind of sick of it just watching everybody else. Everybody got into that whole bread thing. (laughs) Um, But I decided, or actually an actor buddy of mine, we played husband and wife three times. His daughter came back from uh, school and that's what she was doing. And so she 
turned it into something for her to do, but also as a fundraiser thing. She was giving money to, I forget the charity. So she would sell, she would cook and, you know, she explained, showed everything being totally proper and protocol. And, and then they would, you could order your loaves of sourdough from her and she would deliver it and it would be left at your porch in a beautiful package. And she'd stand off, you know, at the, at the other end and we'd wave with our masks on. And so I, I got my fill. It was fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) So you you got, you got a taste of the sourdough, even though you didn't yourself bake. Correct. I got a taste of the sourdough. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I realized that Miss Vicky became my very, very dearest and closest friend. Oh, um, what what flavor of Miss Vicky? Because there's some well, good that's ones. The thing, right? It was every single one of them because I just had to, you know, mix it up. And then if I couldn't find Miss Vicky, because apparently other people were quite enjoying her friendship as well during the uh, quarantine, I would move on to her cousin and I would say, "Oh, I wasn't able to get." A visit in with Miss Vicky, but her cousin Kettle has filled in quite nicely. <laughs> to our listeners around the world, we are talking about chips or crisps. I know we yeah. have a lot of English listeners. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, the, the comfort food and relying on food for some joy. That's, yeah, a, that's, that's over now, but yeah. wasn't, that ha- wasn't that fun? There was that indulgence until it became just over the top and then it was like okay that's it and then then, sad yeah (laughs) i decided to take up knitting right so then i took up knitting sort of uh, i'd had somebody help me on set at uh, virgin river sort of helped me get into it so then i started practicing so i've made uh i made a little dog sweater for my little dog and it has all sorts of mistakes where I should have purled and didn't i knitted and blah 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 but she has this wonderful lopsided little purple sweater that's beautiful Sabrina it's so pretty it's like honestly I know I can see I'm moving you to tears it's quite lovely yeah I'm crying I'm crying yeah Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure your your dog um was act when when your dog beheld the sweater it was like when our our little kids would give us their paintings and we'd be like, this is so beautiful. That's what your dog was saying about the sweater. This is so beautiful. I can't get my arms through it, but it's made with love. Oh yeah. She just sent me so much love. Yeah. With <laughs> one eye. She's a one eye dog. And um, yeah, she has one eye. And so that one eye was staring me down while I tried to push your little paws through the misshapen armholes. <laughs> <laughs> she wears it with pride. Okay. There. Yeah. I, I can't wait to, to see what you, what you create next. I hope you are documenting that on the social media. <laughs> so, Terrell, do you want to do a little bit of time travel? Okay. <laughs> you don't seem so sure. It'll be, we'll be safe, okay? It's actually, it's, it's imaginary. Oh. It's not real. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Okay, then I'm game. Yeah. Okay. okay. I want to go back to your childhood I want to know because so, so we have kids that like that are like I my, my daughter's 10 your daughter's a little older than that these are these are kids who um I feel like this these ages their people are very pure like in a lot of ways we're in our purest form you know when we are when we are uh, between you know childhood and and our teen years you know we know what we want and we're very passionate um so i want to know like what you were like when you were in that that pure you know 10 to 12 10 to 12 12 age 
okay. know, and like, who, what yeah, were you like and what did you want to be and what did you dream about? All I ever, and I, I've said this in so many different interviews because it's the truth and it's bizarre, but I've known from the time I was four that all I ever wanted to do, I didn't understand the term after. Um, so all I, people would say, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be a movie star. I just want to be a movie star, like from the age of four. And what was funny is that I was ridiculously shy as a kid, like horrendously shy, almost debilitatingly so. I was just really, really shy. And, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was my grandmother. I was raised by my grandparents and she was like, oh, we got to get her out of her shell somehow. So my cousin was enrolling in a dance class and she thought she'd bring me along and see if that might help. So that's what I did. That's what she did. Yeah. I went into a dance class because I always loved music and that sort of thing. And so that was around the age of nine, I guess, when I started. And so 10 and 12, I was busy. I, I was living in the dance studio and loving it. And I was still shy, but there, that, there was that magic switch that would come on when I hit the stage where I just was, I just loved it. It was like this magic place for me to, to create and to perform. And then I'd go off stage and be shy again. Um, but yeah. That's... Do you still consider yourself to be, to be shy? I'm not shy. I would never say I'm a shy person. People who know me would say, who are you kidding? There's nothing shy about you. But my, my close, close friends do know that I am, um, I would consider myself an extroverted introvert in the mm. sense that I love my quiet time. And it's, you know, when it's downtime, if I'm not working, I'm not one to want to have to go to the next party or the next opening or whatever. I quite like, I, I'm more of a homebody. I'd much rather just stay home and go for walks and spend time with, you know, good friends and, and family when we were able to do that. When we were able, although the stay at home and going for walks and well, stuff. We're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm ready to party. Woohoo! Bring the chandelier because I've been doing that so much. But yeah, that's, I was always more of a homebody. And if I, when I did go to events, I, I certainly wasn't shy. I mingle and see friends and, and chit chat and do all of that. But when it was time to go, I, I was gone. There was no let's after party time. It was like, no, I'm, I'm done. Was the dream of being a movie star, did it seem realistic to you? You know, as you were growing up, you know, like, were you from, from people, like, were, you, were this, there anybody in your family who had careers in the arts, you know, or, or were there people who were, you know, pushing you away from that as you grew up? Like, you know, oh, nobody, I, there was nobody in, in the arts at all. Yeah. Um, did they push me away from it? Not at the beginning. I mean, they loved the dance and, and, you know, we all, as parents, I love having my kid involved in something. It's the old adage, keep them busy. So they're not out in the streets getting into trouble kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I loved it. And it's, it's funny that you say that because there was never a moment, ever a moment of doubt uh, to the point where, you know, my, my grandparents would be like, well, are you going to head on to you know, university and this and that and study? And I was like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be working. I'm going to be performing. Like there was this, the belief system. I wish I had a smidgen of that belief system. Now I'll tell you mm -hmm. was so pure. Yeah. It was. And so there that there was no doubt in my mind. Um, and I think when, 
I hit a certain age where I was doing it, then it became, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you had this from your parents as well. Well, you know, maybe it's time now you've got to grow up and get a real job. <laughs> yes, you know, you need a real job now. And I tried it. I tried it for a bit. And it was like my soul was just squelched. My what was spirit. your real job? Quote, unquote, real job. My real job. I yeah. worked for, I got a job as um, like a, not a, sec, not, a, not a, a secretary, I guess, receptionist for my friend who was, uh, is, a lawyer so I worked for her and hated every minute of it I mean it was great being with my friends but hated every single second of this it was not working for me and then decided I think maybe what I should do maybe I'll get into radio so then I thought well I'll get into radio but I didn't go the way people go I went to a radio station and said hi this is my name and I want I'd like to be a disc jockey and I think it would be quite valuable for this uh, you know station and I remember the you know program director looking at me going well did you go to school no no are you taking any courses oh no no oh okay well I'll tell you what anyway he was lovely and I guess he must have you know seen something with this crazy young girl with chutzpah chutzpah baby so much chutzpah so, uh, he said, go to this, I took a course, it was a night school course out uh, in Vancouver called BCIT. And before I finished my 12-week course, I was hired on full-time in a major market radio station. And I loved it um, because it was still performing, but I was still, my spirit, it still was, was different. And then I was emceeing a lot of different concerts and that sort of thing. And I was backstage and one of the opening acts, it was... Uh, might have been Dolly and Kenny Rogers, I can't remember, but it was the Smothers Brothers. So Tommy Smothers and I were hanging out backstage, God bless him, and um, making each other laugh, like just peeing the pants, right? Because yeah. it's the Smothers, and I have a wacky sense of humor, and I can dish it as well as take. So we just had so much fun, and he just finally looked at me at one point. He's like, what are you doing hiding behind a microphone? I said, what do you mean? You said you grew up in the arts, and you love to do that. Why aren't you doing it anymore? I said, well... You know, it's like I should be responsible, have a real job. Never mind that. He says, you got to follow your heart. So it was Tommy's mothers who talked me into it. I, I went, that's it. Quit. Thank you, Tommy Smothers. Good job, Tommy. And, uh, and that's how that came to be, where I went, yeah, you're right. And I, um, I just did it. That is some, I mean, it's wonderful to get validation and to have people who urge us on. But that is one hell of a... <laughs> One hell of a person. Um, well, it's, it's making me laugh because I'm thinking of the younger generation that are, are you know, watching this going, Smothers? Who yeah. Are the, who are the Smothers Brothers? Yeah. Google's your friend. Google's, yeah. And honestly, in this case, you're going to find some really hilarious, some hilarious yeah. stuff, the Smothers Brothers. So, so okay. So, that, so at that point, Tommy's Mothers has unleashed, unleashed this, given you permission to go, to go, for your dreams. Yeah. What were those dreams at that point? Like, what did you want from your career? I want career is such a funny word, right? Because it's hard when it's got passion and it's your calling. I always feel weird using it, you know, but I think you know what I mean. Like the, your acting life, I guess yeah. I mean. Yeah, that works. What did you want for it? 
I just wanted to, I don't know, I didn't have any specific direction other than going and getting myself an agent first and foremost. So I did that and uh, went back to one of the agents that I had when I was younger or when I was, you know, a kid, because I had one, in, I was still in high school doing all of that stuff. And um, so I did that and then thought I should get my butt in doing some cap classes. And so I did. I started taking some classes and then I started booking jobs and I just kept plugging away and I kept doing it, you know. What was your, what was your first time on set? You know, like, what do you remember about it? And film set? What? Like yeah. A set. Um, Cause we, when we did, I danced professionally as well. So there was like three cameras, there was all sorts of stuff, but that was a whole different thing. I think I, I think, I mean, let's talk like, film, film set. Yeah. Like, did you, like, did, did you find something there that you were looking for? I was nervous because I came from a theater background, right? So all of a sudden, and this is pre um, a big industry where they were then putting out courses on film etiquette and learning different things that the, the younger generations are now afforded, right? So I remember being on set and going, what? So, oh, so I have to, this is my mark. And, and learning as I went along, right? And just shutting my mouth and watching and listening and learning. Um, and what was it? Oh my gosh, you know what? I can't even remember. Was it, I think it might've been called Stingray. It was a show, it was a series here. With, uh, the actor's name was Nick Mancuso. Mm -hmm. So I think it was Stingray. I remember that was like the first one and I was on a plane. I was a flight attendant on that one with a few, you know, a few words or a couple of lines and, and that's how it started. That was my first one and just plugging along and just working constantly. And did you like it? Like when you were on? Yeah. Loved it. It was like, I mean, I still enjoy theater. I love the whole process of rehearsal and, you know, beginning, middle, end, all of that in the immediacy of it. But there was something about that lens and feeling like, I was drawing them into me. I just found it magical and I still do. Yeah. What do you, I mean, and we're going to talk about specific characters. I, I need, I, I need to ask a question that came from Paul McGillian. Um, and then I also want to talk about Muriel as well. Um, but you know, what do you, what kind of career do you want now? You know, and like, how has that changed since, you know, you were a, flight attendant on Stingray. You know what? It hasn't changed. It really hasn't changed. Even I love my career and I, I'm very proud of the body of work that I have behind me and I look forward to more ahead of me. It is always more difficult as a woman in this industry, um, an aging woman in the industry. So that's always something to, to bear in mind. But I love what I do and I love being a part of the storytelling process. Did I ever want to be famous, rich and famous? I can honestly say to you, no, that was never what I wanted because I, I think probably because I am introverted, I never wanted to have my, my life splattered on, on tabloids and nowadays social media or anything like that. I, I, it's very flattering if you're recognized, but for the most, and it's lovely, but I'm not hounded. And I have friends who are, very famous and and I, I see them being hounded and it's 
it's a whole different thing. So I am beyond grateful for what I have. I just, I love for me to be able to get up and do something I love to do. So my job is part of telling a story and I love it. And I'm quite content. I love to hear that. Um, I, okay, so let's talk about sci-fi. And that's going to ha- be how we kind of ease our way into talking about Stargate. But what was your relationship to science fiction, you know, before you started working in science fiction? I was never a huge science fiction. Um, and I say this with love because they call themselves geeks or nerds. And I like Yes, to we do. A- we do. <laughs> I like to be considered a geek and a nerd. I am right in there. Excuse me, but I was never like really up on all that stuff. It wasn't like I watched a lot of sci-fi, but I was uh, an addict to Star Trek, the original. So I I had the maddest crush on, you know, James T. Kirk. And so that I, I would use my Pez candy dispenser as my my communicator, right? Yeah. yeah type of thing. So I had, I loved my fantasy life. You were a Kirk girl. I was a Kirk girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was. But I was also really savvy even as a kid. I'm talking a little girl. Because I would go, okay. And um, I know it's hard to believe that I'm not a natural blonde, but I did have darker hair as a youth. So I would think, well, okay, so I'm the brunette. So I better make sure that I get a red head for Spock and bones can have the blonde because it's like i even knew them we better have three different hair colors and it was like i was creating all of this stuff it's quite funny but yeah <laughs> that i know is that funny oh no we can't have two brunettes in this team sorry um so yeah that's that's what i did that was my thing and i loved 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 it and i loved um lost in space and i loved watching those kind of movies that kind of thing but I was never like totally into all of that or never into the comic books kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so it wasn't new to me, but the whole magic of it and the following of the genre, what has just been overwhelming. Like I'm how fabulous is it? Right. The, the fandom, you know, sci-fi fans in general, Stargate fans specifically. Um, They're so blessed to have them. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So let's talk about Janet. Uh, And we will talk about your death because I feel like we do need to address that. Um, Because it's one of the things that, you know, when people think about Janet, there's people get very emotional when they think about her her end. Um, But what did you... What did you like about playing her? And I'm not very good at asking a question that just has like one part. I have to ask like 20 part questions. So what did you like about playing her and specifically within that ensemble? You know, like that that was a, everybody's firing on all cylinders, right? You know? I loved uh, her strength. I mean, I loved the fact that this woman was not just um, a doctor. She was a doctor who specialized in exotic diseases. Mm. She was also a, a, a major. When she died, she, was, she had been promoted to a major in, in the Air Force. So she was a very strong, strong 
person, very, very smart, intelligent person. But what I liked about Janet, which I feel I brought into the character, we all bring a piece of ourselves into um, what we do, but you still follow with the core of what you're written. Um, is she did she was not afraid to be a woman she was not afraid to you know you're not supposed to cry if you lose a patient well i it would just happen where the tears would well up one of my scenes that i i was i was wondering if they were going to keep it in the editing because it was the body it was the host of it was the host apophis mm. so as apophis is passing you know on my table in the infirmary I, my tears are welling up because the host is gone or he, the Gua'ul was gone now, yeah. which, which made him the warlord that he was. But now I'm looking at this man and I'm watching him fade. And the makeup was amazing how they had the, the eyes, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry. I have dairy in my coffee. I shouldn't have never put it in there. Flat queen. <laughs> um, so it's, it's fine. It's nice and raspy. It, make, it oh. makes you sound so much more emotional as you're talking about Janet. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't tell them that it's really just phlegm, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like his <laughs> were all, you know, covered over like cataracts, I guess. Anyway, it was just, and the emotion was just there and I wasn't sure if they were going to cut it or whatever and not let it be seen, but they did. Mm. And I loved that because she's human. I mean, yeah. all of these people, when you, all of the characters, even though they did the things that they did, they were human, yeah. they, you know? And then, <clears throat> excuse me, the writers put that in there and they had a cast, beautifully cast. I mean, they, I think everybody was absolutely in the role they should have been. And they just brought so much to it. And, yeah, it was, it was an amazing seven years for me. Amazing. Yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving. That's what I say because of the magic again of sci-fi. I love, I love the science fiction fans. I love the genre. I, they're so loyal. They follow you. It doesn't matter if it's not the type of show they want to watch, they'll still follow you anyway. And it's just, as I've said, I'm just beyond grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, one of the, the joys about, being a sci-fi fan, especially in the pre-pandemic times, was that we have all these events and we go and we have these reunions with our friends and then we get to see, you know, the actors from our favorite shows. I mean, it's one of the joys of, of sci-fi fandom are the conventions. So can you tell me about your very first convention and what that experience was, was like for you? My very first convention, um, was in England and it was, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of felt like I was just walking around in a daze cause it was my first experience of people everywhere and, um, having to have security, you know, to get through crowds and, um, it wasn't just a Stargate, pardon me event. It was, I was there for Star Stargate. They had Billy D. Williams there from Star Wars. They had uh, Bruce Boxleitner from Babylon 5. So there was a handful of us, and I had no idea what to expect. I remember I had my coffee cup when it was my turn to go and speak on stage because I thought, I, I don't, how am I going to know what to answer? They're going to know way more than me, and I had no idea. And then what happens is you get there, and even if you fall, even as in, 
not physically, but if you make a mistake or like I, I, you don't have to be perfect. They were just right there for you. Like the audience was right there for you. Sure. If you were to fall, they would also be right there for you. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then they'd send me off to the back rows and, you know, we'd have a little great <laughs> fun party. But um, Bruce was my, my lifesaver because he had been doing so many. And I would say, what is, what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to, he said, just be who you are and, you know, answer the questions and don't let them sign your arms or anything. I said, what? He says, oh yeah, they might ask you to, if you could autograph their arms. He said, cause sometimes they'll go and get your autograph tattooed permanently and I went oh dear okay so I'm listening to all this and I was like okay and then the next thing I know the next day the organizer comes up and says oh by the way you guys are going to officiate at a wedding and I went pardon what what yeah we've got a wedding happening and uh, Bruce has been asked to be like the best man and you're going to be the bridesmaid and it was this fabulous wedding um, where the bride and groom were dressed up in Babylon attire, Babylon 5 attire. And I, I just remember, it's like, I was like, this person, it was hysterical. I was like, my mouth was always open because I, I was like, is this really happening? I don't have, I don't have a bridesmaid dress. And Bruce is like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, but it, okay. And then it's like, I've got this bouquet put in my hands and I'm signing an actual register with Bruce and, we're the witnesses. And the beauty of this is, so this was my first convention when, what is all this about? And then years down the road, that couple coming up and they're not in their attire, they're Babylon, they're just there and they had their child. And they said, do you remember that you were our bridesmaid? You are maid of honor and you, you signed. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And they are madly in love, happily married. They're still making the convention rounds. They have a little baby with them. It was just, you almost feel like you are like part of the family. Like you, you see a lot of people that you met the first time and, and you become friends. I have friends all over the world who contacted me that are, are friends that I met through conventions, like amazing people that I'm so grateful to have in my lives, you know? I think there's a lesson in that. What do you think that is? Like, what, what have you learned from these fans, you know, and from fandom in general? Oh, my gosh. I, what have I learned? I've learned so much. I've learned acceptance. They accept you for who and what you are and, like, no judgment and, and true loyalty and true friendship like you see the bonds that these people make and sometimes they don't get to see each other face to face they you know they visit online and do whatever they get involved in these different rooms of games or whatever that we are now doing is becoming our life but that's what they do and then they meet and save up their money and work really hard to come and attend these events to see their friends like it's just it was amazing i just i never I never once had any feelings of anything except gratitude. Yeah. Just, you know, these amazing people. That and makes I, my I, heart sing. That, I love to hear that. It does make your heart sing. Yeah, because yeah. it certainly still makes mine sing. Yeah. Okay, so I got a question from Polly. Okay, Polly, what's your so, question? So Polly wants me to ask you, and I'm, 
I'm literally asking it how he, he phrased it. He's so, Paul wants me to ask you about a certain piece of clothing a fan made for you. He also included the laughing, crying emoji. Um, what are you willing to tell us about that? Now I will note that Terrell's now leaning back. She's covering her, her face. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um. <laughs> Holly, what have you done? What have you done to Terrell? Holly and I were in Germany and and I let me again preface to the person who delivered this how grateful I was to receive it. And I laugh with you. I laugh with you for this gift. And basically what had happened, this lovely young man told me he had made me a dress. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm honored. Thank you so much. And I had this dress and we're getting and you know, you're in it, you know, the people are so kind and generous. There's all these lovely gifts. And, and then we would go back to our room and, and freshen up, take a little relaxer and then maybe go for dinner or whatever until we attended another event in the evening. So I was up and getting ready and Polly came over or maybe I was at his, in his room. Like we would always go, we'd have our doors open and we'd all sort of visit each other. And He's like, where's that dress? I said, oh, it's here. He said, have you tried it on? I said, no. He said, try it on. I said, try it on like right now? He goes, yeah, try it on right now. I said, okay, but I've got my clothes on. And do I, should I go? Well, so we pulled it out to determine if I needed to go. And, and it was a very large, kind of probably similar to my first um, knitted doggy coat, right? So it was this. It was this dress that um, that uh, I would as assume that measurements were, you know, you just sort of put together. And anyway, the material was lovely. And it was very, very large. So <laughs> it, it needed a lot of, um, it needed a lot of, um, what do you call that? Cinching? Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and Holly and I, because he looked at it, and if you had seen it, it was like putting on, a, like, a, imagine a little three-year-old putting on grandma's dress or something. So the humor came from the fact that it was, you know, much, large. much too big. It was large. It was comically large. It was comically large. That's yeah. exactly which is where the humor came from. It was comically large. But the fact that this person, you know, made this thing for me was endearing. So Paul and I had a good little chuckle. Well, he's still laughing about it now. <laughs> he's a poopette. <laughs> oh, Polly. Why well, did you? I think he might have taken pictures. I don't have any. We should ask him. You Next time you get him on, say, so where are the photos, Paul? <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he has those at the ready, but he'd have to share something too. Oh, he, yeah. he would have to share something. I think that there has been erotic art that's been made featuring Carson, you know, so I'd like to see if, if he's going to share the photo of you in that, I want to see him share some sure, erotic yeah. Carson so art. Great, great to erotic, uh, yeah, drawings. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
I feel I feel weird to segue from that into talking about Janet's death, uh, but I would like to spend some time on that. Okay. And uh, thank you so much, Paul McGillian, for your question. Um, <laughs> you didn't tell Thanks, me what, Polly. Thanks, Polly. Love it. Hated <laughs> it. <laughs> That's what he does all that. Is he still doing that? Love it. Hate it. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. that's our Polly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are you, are we turning on the light? I thought you were leaving the podcast now. Yeah, You're like, that question was enough, and I'm gone. Okay. Um, I have to put a little light on. A little light here. Okay. Anyway, you want to talk about me death? I want me to death. talk about you dying. Um, Heroes is a beautiful but traumatizing two-parter. Like, I put Janet's death up there with... Colonel Blake's from MASH, like painful, but also very revealing about the nature of that work, the nature of war, the nature of service. Um, how did you respond to the news that you were going to die when you were first told? Well, it was hard, right? Yeah. It was really hard. Um, I think it was January. I got a call from Robert Cooper, one of our writers and uh, producers. And so I was doing the play. And so we were just chatting about scheduling and blah, blah, blah. And he said, so listen, while I have you on the phone, how would you feel if we killed you off? I said, really, Robert? How do you think I would feel if you killed me off? Not so great, thanks. I said, oh my gosh. And he said, well, here's the deal. It's probably going to be our last season. That was season seven. Right. It went on for 10. Um, it's probably going to be our last season and, you know, we, we want to, you know, stir up some emotions and, and kill off one of our main characters and one that, you know, our, our fans love. I said, well, frick, why don't you kill off O'Neal? Have Rick bite the dust. What? Why me? I mean, it was, and then we laugh about that now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So now. <laughs> Yeah, now so that's how we it was discussed, and then he did tell me. He said basically what we're going to do with the storyline, and he told me about the storyline, and I was quite moved by it because I had uh, again an opportunity through through Stargate to go and do a couple of USO tours, and one was uh, a July Fourth week in um, uh, South Korea which was magical. It was to celebrate the 4th of July. And I went with a bunch of JAG actors and we flew and we were flying in Blackhawks and wow. you know, landing in camps and, you know, talking to the troops. So my heart, I, my heart just goes out to the men and women who do what they do for us, for all of our countries um, so that we get to enjoy what we get to do. So I, I it really opened my eyes uh, attending these, that thing and these events, two of them, two U USO tours. The second one was pre or was uh, post 9-11, which mm -hmm. was beyond moving. And that was to Doha, Qatar, Qatar that uh, the entire cast of Stargate went on, which was lovely that we were able to do this all together. But there were many, many tears shed because um, it was an active, there was an active, you know, war going on. So it was, um, it was, it was traumatic and an amazing experience and we met some lovely people and yeah so my heart always has gone out to the military so when he mentioned this how Janet was going to go I thought oh this will be great okay um, if that's the way to go what a way to go you know and it would also be very fitting 
for Janet. Um, I have not to this day watched the episode. Um, I read it and when I got to the end, just sobbed. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And that was kudos to, you know, the writers because it was beautifully written and um, what a touching ending for her. I thought she was sent off with a tremendous amount of respect and love and, and yeah, if you're gonna get written off the show, what a way to get written off. So it was, it was um, touching. Yeah. Did you mourn Janet? Big time. Of course yeah. I did. Yeah. It was like, wow, I'm not going to go in those shoes anymore. And I'm not going to have that stethoscope anymore. And, yeah. and it was, it was hard because that was seven years that I, I played this woman. And each time I played her, there was more and more revealed and it. You know, it's like anything. It's, every actor talks about the onion and the unveiling of all the different layers in an onion. So there was still so many places they could have gone. Um, but again, that didn't happen. And uh, she went yeah. out beautifully. Yeah. Well, it's still one of the, the more contentious uh, topics in the Stargate fandom, for yeah. sure. <laughs> especially, especially the fact that the show did continue for a few seasons longer, you know? Yeah, it did, and they brought me back in nine, which was hard. I came back as a, on an alternate universe, alternate so it was universe. nice to reunite with everybody, but it was very different, too, because, you know, Dawn was no longer there. Mm. Um, it was Bo Bridges, who was lovely, and what a, what a treat to work with him. And, um, God, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Ben Browder uh, was in now as the captain, or as the colonel instead of Rick. So there was a lot of different stuff there. Mm. It was just very, very different. It wasn't the same as going home. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was still nice to go back and, and, and play and sort of feel like her again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have done, you, you have inhabited so many other characters since, since Janet, um, including quite a few in the, in like the family drama and the, and the rom-com uh, realm. After spending so long in sci-fi, in Janet's stethoscope, was it hard to adjust to, to these other genres? Like, or are you... Are you using the same skills, actors' tools in in sci-fi, or in the family dramas and the comedies as you were using in sci-fi? It wasn't, um, yeah, it wasn't a big leap at all. I mean, you yeah. do what you do, and as again, you tell a story, and you just get to tell it in a different way, and you're wearing different shoes and yeah. clothes, that kind of thing. Um, but it wasn't hard. I also was fortunate in that when we would be down for hiatus during Stargate and especially I think even in the last year when I wasn't in as many episodes I was still able to do other shows as long as it didn't conflict with Stargate and so I kept my um I kept my muscles you know working in, yeah in other ways so yeah it wasn't it wasn't hard at all yeah I guess there's also the fact that you were often directed by by directors from the sci-fi realm right you know you have There's like the so many that crossover yeah the martin woods you yeah. know and the peter de louises and, and, you so, know. and it's also the, the the plus to that is i mean these are people you've i have known for 20 plus years and yeah. are friends like they're I, I adore these people so it's yeah 
it's it makes it fun. What is a Terrell Rothery role? You know, like when are you the the happiest? Uh, I have to admit, I'm the happiest. I think. I mean, I love playing baddies. I love playing evil. I love. I mean, I'm the happiest when I'm working. I am mm. the happiest when I drive to set and I check into my trailer. That's when I am my happiest um, in work. I'm also my happiest every time I look at my daughter and watch her grow. I mean, that's the pure. That's the real joy. Yeah. But in work, I'm my happiest. Yeah, just working and and doing something new and and being a different character i love uh, i love to laugh i i just i love to laugh i love to make people laugh so when it's a rom-com and it's i love happy endings i mean i'm a sap right i've always been give me a hallmark card and i'd want to just crawl into it right, right <laughs> into the card and be there so i love all that stuff and um, Cedar Cove, I loved that fabulously quirky character I got to play. And I, I you know, you mentioned Virgin River as well, which is another um, show that um, we did. Uh, Netflix. And again, this character is sassy and funny. And, and I mean, you, you can't help but have fun when the writing is fabulous. You mm -hmm. can't help but be moved um, when the writing is so amazing and you're you're dealing with you know all these emotions like that's it all affects us and you know I just I don't know how to explain it you're explaining it very well I, yeah. yeah of course and it's it's when I like to go back when you could watch movies you know in a theater and I'd be watching something and maybe I'd go again if I really loved the work but I would look around and when you see when you watch people who are so engrossed in the screen and you see that laugh or you see the and hear that little intake of breath and you as an actor i would sit, sit back and watch right and go wow they did their job they did their job look what look at that yeah. or when you're walking out and you're going into the restroom after your movie and you hear, oh my God, what did you think? Why do you think? And then you hear the conversations about the storyline or you hear the conversations about the character. That it's like, yeah, this is why we do what we do. That makes yeah. me happy, you know? Um, you mentioned Virgin River, Muriel. That's me. Uh, I, I got a text from my aunt uh, at, at Christmas and she's like, have, have you watched Virgin River yet? I'm like, no, I, I haven't had a chance yet. She's like, I need you to watch it. I need you to take two days and just watch the whole thing. And then, and then, you know, and then we'll talk about it. Cause there's things I need to talk about. So I was like, okay. So I watched, and then I just, I got, I was like immediately sucked in. Like I was, I was so passionate about these characters. And then I understood why she wanted to talk, you know, right at the end of uh of season two um but you know for, what do you think it is about that show like what what is the appeal of about virgin with virgin river with virgin river yeah how would you characterize it um i think that all of these characters you can relate to i think i think they're very relatable characters the emotions all the stuff that they're going through it's well written um the the characters are well-rounded and they have the right cast i mean the chemistry 
between our two leads, Alexandra Breckenridge and Martin Frick. Martin's Henderson. Martin. Henderson. I always want to say Martin Lawrence, right? I, it's my automatic. That's your Martin. Actor. Yeah. Yeah. So Martin Lawrence. Um, so that would be Jack and Mel. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. <laughs> I'm having a brain fart. Um, yes. They are magical. And if you guys were able to be on set with us, you'd see that, that the chemistry is fabulous even off screen. Like it is just, it's no wonder it works. It's just bang on. Yeah. And um, Annette O'Toole is one of our, our cast uh, leads and she is just so gracious and amazing. And I love her to bits. And I Yeah, she's, she's the mayor. She's Mayor Hope. She's Muriel's. Mayor Hope and... <laughs> I love how our characters get to, to, you know, play off each other, if you want to call it play, fist fight, whatever. It's just this amazing banter. I just, we have so, so, so much fun. In fact, it was uh, Annette who got me into knitting because she'd be sitting there. We'd be sitting in Video Village and um, she'd be knitting away. And a Video Village, for those who are not familiar, is where we get to go and, not Video Village, it's like the green room or where they'll put the cast. So we're sitting in our chairs and, it gives you an opportunity to, you know, do whatever, mostly talk and communicate. So, but I would always bring my book. If I didn't go back to my trailer, I'd sit there and you'd chit chat with everybody, but then I'd have my book and it was so kind of antisocial. And I'd watch Annette just whipping off with her knitting needles, making these beautiful scarves or beautiful sweaters and different things. And yet she was still able to talk and be social. So I was like, you know, I should learn how to do that. She goes, oh, it's a wonderful way to kill time. And so she started me on it, sent me a pattern and wool, and off I went. So that's how that all began was, was through Annette. Um, and Tim Matheson. Oh, my gosh. So those are the main four. And they're fabulous. They're just fantastic. Doc and Hope and their life together. And as you say, um, Colin Lawrence is another amazing character mm. who... Oh my God, I love Colin. Like all of it, I could just go on and on and on about the cast. It's just, there's a lot there. There's humor, there's there's emotions, there's uh, angst, there's jealousy, there's there's so much in it. You pick, you know, you choose what, you, it's there. So I think that's what it is. And you also, you know, you can't help beautiful scenery. I think that's going to bring the, the viewers in too. I mean, it's just beautifully. It's really thought. beautiful. And it's... Thought. It's um it's perfect for this moment in history where we can't really travel, but then I can, we can watch Virgin River. I've also and I've watched Yellowstone recently as well, another show where you know I can't go to Montana, but man, I spent some time there when I watched Yellowstone. I want to watch that one. I'm just is it? I heard it can be vi like quite violent too, right? It it can be. Um, were you able to watch The Sopranos? I, there was some I couldn't take about it, but I, yeah, I got totally caught up in the Sopranos. I it's kind of, it. I kind of liken it to any show that's about a family empire. Um, you know, like, yes, there's, I mean, it's very Shakespearean, right? Yes, there's violence. Um, and there's, you know, palace intrigue, but there's also like just incredible pure love and, you know, ideas around loyalty. It's, okay. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. And I watched 29 episodes. Um, Wow. After I watched Virgin River. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't go outside really anymore, you know? And plus I can justify it doing it for work, right? I can watch, yeah. you know, I can watch all of these shows for work. I'm actually, John Emmett Tracy's coming on tomorrow and uh, he has a role in Yellowstone. 
So uh, oh, that's fun. good. Justify yeah, that. I do want to talk a little bit more about Muriel. Um, you know, when you're the character who um, kind of there to throw a wrench in plans, right? You know, uh, I mean, I could see one. I could. I. I thought you're phenomenal. I thought. I thought that I saw a spark in your eye that told me just how much fun you were having. You know, as Muriel. Um, but like, yeah, what? What? what drives her, you know, and isn't it important to, to empathize or understand or agree with her actions, you know, in order to portray a character like Muriel? Um, what drives her? You know what? I think it just boils down to loneliness. I think that's what drives her. Yeah. You know, she's, she, um, I can give a bit of a background to the character for those who haven't watched it. Um, she was uh, an actress who moved away from this beautiful town of Virgin River and she went to Los Angeles and, you know, had some success there and all sorts of different things. But it, it, inevitably she moved back uh, to Virgin River and she's, She's larger than life and she just has that her, there's, you know, there's really two big sort of things in life. It's, it seems to be power and love, right? Mm -hmm. You're wanting power, you're wanting love. And Muriel so wants the love. And, and I think that's why she, she chose to leave this small town and, and go and pursue her life because there's that act. She wanted that. She wanted that adoration. She's very big. She's a very big character. She's and so good. Wanted, isn't she funny? <laughs> She's so she great. wanted that adoration. And so she comes to Virgin River and she's full of life and she's not used to that small town, you know, how to play and how to fit in. She just sort of says what comes out without thinking um, yeah, maybe she's really smart though, too. Maybe she says things that are said with innocence, but who knows what's behind it. I'll let you figure that out. Those oh. of you who are watch it. Um, <laughs> Her words are, can be like knives. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and there is an innocence about her too. There, I think there is an innocence. For me, as an actor, you have to find the endearing qualities to play somebody who's not so nice. And mm -hmm. she is nice. I, I don't say, but I, I've played other characters that are really not nice. But you got to find something. There's got to be something there that you like about them. And I had that from an acting coach. So I make sure I, I try and find it. And sometimes it's really hard. You got to dig deep. Um, but there usually is something there. So that's, that's what I think it's just her. She's just lonely. She just. Yeah. She wants to be liked, you know? Yeah. Honestly, if you haven't watched Virgin River, just do yourself a favor. Even if you think it's not a show for you, it's a show about, about people. It's for you. And it's, you know, if you can lose yourself in Virgin River. Oh, I do have one more question. Yeah. Team Mel or Team Charmaine? That's Muriel. <laughs> Muriel, go Muriel. Um, she does think Jack's pretty cute. Yeah. I, I have for me, like if I stand back, if I stand back and I watch the show, I say Team Mel. Mm. I can't help it. Yeah. I'm a Team Mel girl. Yeah, I, I am too. 
But I love watching Charmaine. I and, do uh, too. So it's hard, <laughs> right? I still love Charmaine. And you think, go girl, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a battle. It's, it's hard. great TV. And, and, uh, that's exactly it. It's great TV. You don't want to watch people get their happily ever after right away. They got to hurt for it, you know, because yeah. otherwise it's going to be super boring. I yeah. shall, I would love to point out too that um, Virgin River has been renewed uh, and will be coming back for a third season. I'm not asking for any spoilers. I just want to enjoy it. Yeah. And then talk to my aunt all yes. of it. Yay. Okay, so um, are you ready to play some favorite things? Okay, what's that? Uh, okay, so it's a very complicated game developed right. by my 10-year-old daughter. Um, basically, okay. I ask you what your favorite thing is of a various thing, and then you tell me. I love your daughter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to you answer from your gut. First thing that comes to mind, okay? okay. You ready? Yeah. Favorite karaoke song. I live for this look of panic. This is why I love favorite things. There's so many that, that come out there, and also the fact that I've never done karaoke because I'm so incredibly shy. I know, right? So fun. I know. What would I be? It would have to be like a, a Ronettes, like a 1950s, 1960 tune. I don't know. Oh, well, it's Judy's turn to cry. How about that? Uh, hey. There you go. <laughs> I really, I really feel like um, karaoke needs to happen for you. It's so fun. I mean, after the pandemic, uh, you know, you go okay. and you get a private room, you know, go, go with Linda, Linda Boyd, you oh, know? Think, you know what? That's a must. I think, yeah, let's do, we'll have to do a girly thing. Yeah. I love it. I, I, you can come. Yeah, I love it. I'll bring my I'll bring my favorite karaoke partner, Nicole Oliver, and oh. uh, we could do like four hours. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Because <laughs> it's not about singing. It's not about singing well and doing a performance. It's just about like the endorphins that come from singing, which I'm yes. sure as a dancer, like you know, that's where you must get your happy happy oh, yeah. feelings, right? Is when you're dancing. Yeah. Well, for me as a singer, like that's that's I just singing all the time. Oh, I love it. All right, next question. Okay. Favorite cartoon character? Mm, Wilma. I love that. Okay, follow-up question, why? I just love her. I just always liked her a lot. Wilma was, because to me, watching it as a kid, she was strong. Betty was cute, but there was just something about Wilma. Yeah. Yeah, she was really in charge of that household. And she put up with a lot. Like, I could imagine it would be so super exhausting being married to Fred Flintstone. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of the Honeymooners, remember? Yes. You reminded me of the, what was the, the Ralph and, oh my gosh, what was her name? Uh, to the moon, Alice. Alice, that's it. Yeah. That's I actually had to say those words in order to remember what her name was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in? Oh, that I haven't appeared in. Uh, Yet. Favorite. And we're talking about the, the location for location purposes or the show? 
What's the question? So give me the question again. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in yet? Hmm. Oh, that's, that's going to be a hard one. Past or present? Past or present? What was, I would have loved to have been in, in motive so I could go, mm. that's past. Yeah. I would have loved I to can't be. believe you weren't in motive. You would I have know, been fantastic. I loved that show. Yeah. So that's definitely one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I kind of want to like call Dennis Seaton right now, who's been on the podcast and just yell at him for a bit. Why the hell didn't you have Terrell Rothery on Thank your show? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to invite him to come sing karaoke with us too. Okay. That'd be amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what, Terrell? I, my goal before the pandemic, I had all these plans. I was going to do YVR screen scene live events, you know, and I was going to, I was going to like do like, you know, cast reunions in a theater in front of an audience. We'd watch some stuff. I'd interview, you know, I just, I miss, I miss being around people. Um, and I just, I mean, I miss the industry part of it. I miss the events and I miss going for karaoke with my girlfriends, you know, it's just, it's like, this is, I know we're going to get through it, but I miss sharing space, yeah. physical space, not Zoom room space with people. Anyway, that wasn't a favorite things question. That was just me kind of waxing poetic for the before times yeah, and the after times. Good. That was good. Favorite junk food? Potato chips. Oh, obviously. Hello. Yeah, sorry. I, I really shouldn't have. <laughs> Don't know what I was thinking. Favorite flavor, though? Uh... You know, I'm so pathetic. I like plain still. I still like plain, but I love salt and vinegar, but it gets a little too much on the back of my tongue where it kind of hurts. Barbecue is so yummy. All dressed is quite a nice little change as well. I love all dressed. Cheddar. Yeah. Shall I Saving every flavor in the food aisle. Have you had prawn cocktail crisps? No. What are those? So that is, that is an English crisp. Um, by the walkers people. Oh, I do uh, like walkers. I like yeah. So prawn cocktail, it's kind of like their version of all dressed. I get it at, there's a British store called Celtic Treasures up on Dunbar. Yes. And I, like when I'm in England, I will go to the Asda or the Tesco and just like leave with armfuls and oh, try to it. fill them in my suitcase. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I really, I mean, as a, as a chip connoisseur myself, I highly recommend. Okay. Thank you. What is your favorite scent? Citrus. Okay. What was your favorite book when you were a child? Oh boy, so many. Diary Van Frank. Um, mm. What else did I love? Oh, um, I Love You Forever, which I, Frank killed. I can't even think about that book. Yeah, you're like me. And you know, I have my own copy. I have my own copy. Mm -hmm. And London Hester's, I can't stand it. And let's not go there. But yeah, so that one. Um, what else did I like as a kid? I just loved anything. I loved any books. I loved the smell of books. I would just, whatever I could get my hands on. But yeah. the, those are the two I think of right now, right off the top of my head. Yeah, those are... Those are good. Yeah, Robert Munch, I got some, I, got, I have to have some words with that man at some point. Written the funniest, funniest books. Like I just, I love so many of them. And then that one book that is just like guaranteed 
oh, even the thought of it makes me want to weep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's my heart. Just yeah. take it, throw it on the floor, stomp on oh. it, Robert Munch. Okay. You can fix it with Mortimer. And the illustrations, like when you were saying that, I automatically flashed to the last page of the picture. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Okay. No, no, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's end with this one. Uh, what is your favorite piece of advice to give to actors who want the career that you have? no expectations like you just have to you have to trust if you really want to do it just trust and go for it and do it um and that's good advice for life just in general yeah absolutely you have to find the joy you have to find the joy and um find the joy yeah that's beautiful it's yeah. perfect okay i got one more question it's not a favorite okay. thing it's not a favorite things but do you have in your, in your career, in your calling, in your passion, do you have, what the fuck, this is actually my life moments? You know, if so, when do those happen? This is my life moments? Yeah, like, you know, I, I often get that feeling huh. sitting here, you know, sitting here, like growing up, you know, a total nerd who, you know, watched you know, Star Trek and, and um, Star Wars and the X-Files, you know, and that little girl, who, I was a little girl who collected all the action figures and wrote fan letters. And, and now I have a job where I talk to artists who, who create these universes, you know, for, for a living. Like, what the fuck? This is actually my life? Yeah. I think for me, it still happens and it hasn't, I mean, Anytime I, I walk onto an actual set, not a, but a studio. So when I walk onto the grounds of the studio and I'm walking and I see, you know, trailers upon trailers and the honey wagons and then the catering and, and the bustle and the, and people on, you know, golf carts traveling by and people in wardrobe laughing over here. And it's all different, right? Cause some of the, the they're filming different things at the same time. And I'm, I'll be there walking and I'll look around and I have it right now where I just get goosebumps because I go, wow, this is all I ever wanted. And here I am. Yeah. That's when I go, wow, this, this is my life. Look, I'm, I'm here. Crazy. That's, yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's important to take those, take those moments, you know? Okay. I actually have one more question. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time to your childhood and you're between 10 and 12 years old, because those are the ages of our kids. Uh, and you could give you, you have one minute to give yourself some words of wisdom or some advice, you know, for, for your future career. Uh, and I'm still doing career quotation marks. You know, what would you say? Or would you not say anything at all? Because that's an option too. I think what I would say, and the reason this comes up is because I say it to my daughter all the time. Um, and I would remind myself between the ages of 10 and 12, because that was a, a big thing for me as, as all 
I think kids go through that awkward stage and not feeling like they're cool or that they fit in. But I would just say, you have to love who you are and you have to know that it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks of you. Or in today's age, you know, I have to keep saying to her, honey, it doesn't matter how many likes you get. And it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on your face. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you want to go and, and put stuff to, to accentuate your face. Because she keeps looking at these, you know, TikToks and things where you can see, you know, things have been corrected surgically and also edited. And that to her is, you know, she thinks that's pretty. And then our kids judge themselves because they think that's how they have to be. Yeah. So I am constantly saying that it's not going to make you pretty. The only thing that's going to make you pretty is who you are inside. And if you can just learn to love who you are and be a good person, then those are the riches because that's, that's going to make you absolutely beautiful. Yeah. You know, radiant from the inside out, mm -hmm. just like you. No. Terrell Rothery, it's been just a delight and a pleasure. Um, I don't know what to say about Paul McGillian's question. I probably should have vetted it before, uh, but I trust Polly, you know? So that's, anyway, I don't know. I can't do anything about that, but where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? Oh, I'm so, I'm very bad. My friends or my Fans who do follow me know that I'm not very um, constant, but on Twitter, Instagram, you know, that's pretty much it. I don't really do a lot of Facebook stuff. Yeah. You're not on the TikTok? No, I'm not. My daughter, but you know, I think I might be because my daughter's constantly filming things where she's trying to teach me some dance and I'm making a complete and utter fool of myself. You might've gone viral and you don't I even might've. know. Not knowing, right? <laughs> Our kids are so good at that stuff too. Like, I don't know. I have my daughter. I'm like, can you program my phone? It's, I don't know what I did. And They're does your so daughter get frustrated? Mine gets so frustrated. We're like, oh, well, I don't understand. How am I supposed to? Oh, mom, please just give it to me. Ooh, I'm having a flashback now. You're right. <laughs> That's a little too on the nose, Terrell. Please come back anytime. Um, this was just such a delight. Maybe we'll do, we'll do like a, 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 powerful women round table Wouldn't you know that be fun yeah let's do that yeah, i would love that and yeah. i'd love to come back thank you for asking me this really has been this has been a treat it, it, it's been for me um and as i say as soon as i finish here i'm gonna send polly a text and be like what did you make me ask daryl all right here. we can both bombard him with texts <laughs> getting the phone ready thank yeah. you carol Thank you to our listeners for spending this time with us today. Uh, like and subscribe if you are so inclined. Leave us a review. Those help us find even more listeners. Five stars, no less, please. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. I don't know why I sound so hot, chipper, but it's me, Sabrina Furminger. And it is edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, Davillier for the original music. Why We Are Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! 
Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information.